right, you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. Welcome to The Loyalist Connections. Established 1783. Welcome back to another episode of Loyalist Connections. So today we're going to discuss Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. Yarmouth. Wow. You and I both have connections to this area. Yeah, it, it, we do. And, you know, when we when we start putting this in context, 1750, <laughs> you know, and I grew up in Yarmouth. Not until recently did I start thinking about slavery in that area, which I we know now was prom, was prominent back then. But to think that there are the first documented encounter of a black person there was in the 1750s is is hard to believe. That is like over 250 years ago. That's right. I'm not going to do the math right now, but that's, 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 as, that's, as long as it's over 250, yeah, we're safe. Then we're safe, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing math here. Yeah, no, but yeah, you're right in that sense. And, you know, when you talk about the ties to the community, well, you know, if I look at my myself as, you know, um, I thought it was just, you know, growing up, you're kind of naive in that sense. You know, my father's there. I know my grandfather was there who passed away when I was around eight years old. Mm -hmm. But then I started really asking some questions recently. And I know that my great grandfather was a minister in the African Methodist Church in Yarmouth. Wow. And then to take one step further, my great great grandfather was what they would have called a a circuit minister um, that was originally from Lower Sackville. And then he ended up. Traveling to Yarmouth, yeah. and that's where he made his home. So my time, my great-grandfather and great-grandmother are both, uh, you know, buried in the area now. So it's like my draw to the community. So as part of my family vacation, I uh, took the opportunity to interview Bruce Johnson at his home in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. So I'm here today with Bruce Johnson. Uh, Bruce is a local Yarmouthian, as I would say. He's been uh, pretty influential in the black community and community broadly here in uh, Yarmouth County. Um, before we start, I just want to take the time to say thank you, Bruce, for doing this with me. Um, I've known you pretty much since I was born, yeah, <laughs> to be honest much. with you, right? Uh, basketball is our, I think, our common uh common interest but um what i've always remember about you is going into the local pharmacy and seeing you and it was great to see a familiar face uh, another black face in the community that i i knew that was a staple here so thank you for being here today and i guess you know we were uh when i reached out to you i was thinking about the yarmouth community okay and one thing uh we were discussing was about you know the first settlers here essentially and we know that some of the first settlers here were the New England planters from the 1760s. And we just had this conversation about, well, we know that black people probably were here at that they time had as well, to be too. Here. Yeah. And we talked about, you know, they would have been here to provide assistance in terms of farming, uh, building the houses, things of that nature. But what is your connection to Yarmouth specifically? Well, specifically, uh, of course, I was born in Yarmouth and raised in Yarmouth and went to school in Yarmouth. But I'm one of these people who actually came back to Yarmouth. A lot of people that grow up in Yarmouth leave and they never come back only to visit. Right. But 
but I found uh, a niche in my career where I could actually come back and earn a living. So that brings me back to Yarmouth. You know, initially growing up in Yarmouth was, I look at it as fun. You know, like the black population was mainly in town along Pastel Street and Pearl Street. That seems like we were hung out with my friends down right. that way. We played at the waterfront and played around the trains. And that's where I sort of got my experience from, right? Before <laughs> so it switched over to sports. That's where we hung out at. Yeah. And that was in the south end of Yarmouth? No, in the south end of Yarmouth, yeah. And the majority of the blacks were located in the south end of Yarmouth? Pretty, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, as I can remember. Yeah, and so in terms of the original settlers, we talked about the New England planters, but can you give us a description of some of the families that would have been in the Yarmouth area at that time? As a kid, I know, like, looking down Haskell Street, I look at the Eskins, the Kellys, the Middletons were a huge crew. That's right, yes. There's a lot of Lawrences, Freenberry, Hilda Brown, which happened to be a relative of Leonard Brown. He's another right. character in town. And, of course, the Fells and the Smiths. And uh, in the other part of my extended family, my dad's brothers and brother and sister right. lived in the area. Right. Do you know why they settled there specifically? Why would they gravitate to the south end of Yarmouth opposed to, let's say, the center of Yarmouth or further up into, I believe it's Milton area? Yeah. Well, Yarmouth has been built on sailing ships. Right. And so all the work was centered around the waterfront. So this is where they tried to live close to where they had to go to work. Right. You know? And my father always told me about different stories when he was a young man, how they would land, stand up in front of a cart, and you have the boss man would stand on the cart, and he was looking at, who would want to work today? Who would like to work? You, 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 when he went through the line. Right. And he asked everybody if they wanted to come to work, and off they would go. It's one funny story Dad would tell me about Mr. Kelly. They call him Deacon, right? Is that Seabrook? <laughs> that would be Seabrook Kelly. Yeah, okay. And he, and he asked... Deacon, do you want to work today? <laughs> it was just funny to me at that time. Right. Because Seabrook thought was pretty straight. Yeah. Didn't, didn't move around too much. And yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. Yeah. Um, so the the land that they owned in those specific areas, did they all own the land or was it government owned kind of? Uh... Well, at that time, I think most of the land where they were living were, they were renting. And most of the time they rented from... Uh, a lot of Jewish families because they own most of the property and the, and the houses in that area. Oh, that's interesting. So right. they, they rented from them. Right. Whether it be $5 a week or what have you. Okay. Whatever they could afford. I've never thought about that aspect before yeah. in, the, in terms of the ownership, right? And not having that, uh, owning your own building and that's owning it, your own. Uh, it's rare to own your own property. In the early stages, right? Unless yeah. you had a really great job. Yeah. You know, I remember when my father first bought his first house after they got married, he went to Freddie Eman and he borrowed a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars worth right. of seen insurmountable okay. to buy his first home. Really? He never went to the bank. He went to a prominent businessman in the community which had helped a number of people out on a regular basis. So I find that interesting. Why, and when you think about access to financial institutions and things of that nature, 
you know, instead of going to a bank, yeah. he goes to somebody that's a private business owner to get the, the money that he needs. Yeah. Were there barriers that he would have faced at that time? I am sure there were barriers. All the financial information that you would ask a person who basically worked from day to day, right? it's really had no future. Right. You know, so how would you be able to pay your rent and, and food plus pay on your house? You know, it's pretty insurmountable. Yeah, we've yeah. heard similar stories as well too, right? In terms of that, those barriers, accessibility and things of that nature. So for you growing up in Yarmouth, what was that like? You spoke about your father a lot. I know about the, and so obviously the ties to the missionaries, the community, but what was it like for you growing up in Yarmouth at, at that time? Well, it was, I felt it was normal because we were poor, but everybody was poor. Right. So, but you may do with whatever you made. Yeah. You know, dad, when I was growing up, at that time he had worked, started working at the YMCA. So he had a full-time job. And I don't know what sort of benefits he had, but he probably would have some vacation. And my mother worked at different houses. She would pay her meals or would serve guests at a party. And that's how she earned a little extra money for the family. Right. But I, me, my brothers and sister, we had a very, I thought was a normal, happy life. Life, yeah. Well, you said, I mentioned about everybody being poor around you. Yeah. And, and that's the interesting thing is that that also built a sense of community as well, too. And, yeah. you know, you're able to go knock on the door. I think about where I grew up, and I've referenced this before, but you know, my grandmother was literally down the street, right? And you know everybody in your community. So it makes it seem almost like it's normal to you, right? And in your day-to-day -day life, because you have that community around you, it really is, you embrace that, and that's yeah. just how you continue on with your life. We did. Like, if we needed, if we ran out of flour, we would go down to Aunt Jen and get a cup of flour. Or right. if we need a couple of eggs that we didn't have, we'd go pour a couple of eggs from your yeah, our relatives down the street. Right, there was always accessibility in that always. sense as well too. Right? And at the same time, those people always watched out for the children. So if we were doing something wrong, they would tell us, then tell our parents. Yeah, we heard a similar story with with Doctor Barb Hamilton Hinch. She said that when it, somebody wasn't acting right, yeah. and it's literally like the whole community's responsible for that. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so your upbringing and experience in Yarmouth, and I always think that that experience is unique. Um, I can speak from personal experience because I know that it's geographically isolated at times here, but it's also sometimes a blessing in disguise because you're able to try different things. Yeah. Um, what, I, what, we, what we were wondering about was how did your experience growing up impact your educational pursuit? I think my parents sort of instilled in me that you should be able earning a living. Not that I had to go work for a living, right? but you should be able, be able to earn your own money. You, we, although the, my parents gave me allowance at the end of the week, but I wanted to earn my own money. right? So I started off by selling fish that I got from the wharf. right? From there, it worked into selling bottles that I went door to door to gather. From there, it moved into my own paper route. Right. You know, from there, I worked for Hermes Shapiro's, where I would clean up after work was closed. Very you know? entrepreneurial. Yeah, right? I just yeah. kept finding jobs where I could make money at. Right. Yeah. And how did that move into your pursuit of, you know, I would say, 
I guess it's medicine, f- pharmacy in that sense. Yeah, as a, as a child, I remember getting a, a doctor's kit for Christmas, and that sort of intrigued me. So as I moved along through school, I always thought about being a doctor. Then as I got along towards grade 11 or 12, I went to work in the hospital pharmacy just for a summer okay. through my next door neighbor who was a pharmacist. They helped me get this job in for just a summer job in the hospital and I, I was, became very interested in the pharmacy. And I also looked at the doctors, how hard they worked right. in the emergency department. They would come over to the pharmacy to have a smoke right back then. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say, yes, I love medicine, but they look like they work too hard. I want to be able to enjoy my life a little bit. Right. Because they were working like 24 hours a day in those days. Right. Yeah. But that sort of drove me towards pharmacy and I applied for pharmacy. Why is it important for you as somebody that's came from this community to go back and give give back to the community and, and discuss the discuss how successful uh, career you've had in terms of pharmacy? Well, I've often seen people or young students interested in pharmacy, but I want to see different faces involved in pharmacy. So I've, I've been to school a number of times talking about the career, and I always suggested that they come down to the store and have a look around. Right. And if it possible, possibly have a summer job arose, come in and we'll see what we can do for you. And over the years, we've had, believe it or not, a number of uh, black students come in. Come yeah. In and out. Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. Um, when you were growing up, I'm kind of jumping around here, what was the central gathering point for the Yarmouth black community at that time? When I was younger, the biggest gathering point would have been the church, which would be the Rose of Sharon Church over on East Street. Right. They would have Sunday school on Sundays and the regular church service. And it would, in the summertime, we always go on a, a big picnic. I remember the picnics out to John's Cove or Sand Beach or even someplace we went back in the country. But that was a huge gathering for the black community at that time. Right. And that was, was it a black church per se? It, it was a black church. Yeah. Yeah. So, and this is the next question. What we're finding is that the, the black church was central to a lot of these communities, historical communities across Nova Scotia. I also look at into that from another lens as well, too, because there's an element of also being segregated from the regular population as well, too. Did you, did you uh, ever have an opportunity to go to other churches, or was that just kind of the central point for you guys to go because you knew that was right in your community? No, my parents went there initially, but then they moved to another Baptist church, which would have been Temple Baptist Church. Right. So that's where they went to services there, and I, of course, went also. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in terms of, and I'm back kind of to paint a picture of some of the segregation, things of that nature. Um, I've heard stories from people in the community about segregation. It probably it might not have affected you, but it could have affected your parents per se yeah. do you re- do you recount any stories per se about segregation in the Yarmouth community oh yeah one of the stories I remember as if you went to the show people of color had to go upstairs in the balcony I've heard that yeah, yeah that's that would last a very long time yeah and that's sort of one of the biggest ones and most of the times open public well most black people at that time they never really went uptown to eat in the restaurants or they did shopping, but you could tell if you're in the store or walking around, 
There's always seems to be like a set of eyes watching you. you yeah, know? right. It was it still very. I think that's the other thing too is that, um, kind of the unwritten rules, yeah. right, as well too, right. Yeah. I can't remember when segregation was actually abolished yeah. in terms of legislation, but you know, even though it was let's say mid '50s, '60s that it was, there was still that presence of segregation in the community. Yeah. Um, we've seen that. I was. Uh, reading Sharon Robart Johnson's book yep. where I found a lot of information about she you has as well a lot too, of right? Yes. Um, and the reference to not going past Fourth Street yeah. at six o'clock. That's right. Now yeah. so I've heard that from a number of individuals in the community. When I was growing up I was like, that yeah. wasn't true. That wasn't it wasn't true. No. But then I found out the, the word of mouth that that actually was fact. It, here, it was right? uh, unwritten law. Unwritten mm-hmm. law, right? Yeah. And so yeah. that those are the kind of things that uh, we, you know, we're trying to shed a light on in that sense as well, too. Yeah. Um, the Yarmouth community itself, how has it changed over the years? Our community has gotten, of course, smaller and smaller as the years go on. And so that seems to be about the biggest change. But uh, we have the uh, Greenville Community Center, right, which is used a lot by the community and for the rest of the overall community, right. too. So it's an area where it's still run by the Greenville community and it's still known as a black community hall yeah. you know which is really the only community entertainment that we really have yes you know can you speak about your ties to the greenville as well um and and when i say that it's interesting because i know my father has recently became involved in the greenville community center as well too right we we did at the at the same time actually. yeah yeah. Yeah. So, what are, what's what's the close tie between Yarmouth and Greenville in that sense? Well, we looked at the at the hall, and unfortunately, they weren't able to get along running the hall. So Sheridan went after people outside of the community to help get together and just to run the hall, right, in the positive way without any backlash or any <laughs> talking from anybody. So yeah, that's, that's right. What, that's what we did. You know. We want it to be a, a success, and it has been. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I think it was two years ago before COVID happened, I uh, participated in the Harvest Festival dinner there. Right. So I came in, I was able to, I didn't actually eat the food, I prepared the food, which right. was a really interesting experience. So you got that sense of community there That's as well, right. too. And one thing, you know, when I think about yourself and giving back to the community, how is that? How is it important for you to give back to the community as a whole? Um, you know, as you get later into your years, yeah. in terms of your legacy, but also making sure that you've kind of laid the the groundwork for other uh, other uh, youth, black youth in the in the area. I sort of that all started sort of for me when I came back to Yarmouth to work. I got a job with Fraser Mooney, and he said you should start giving back to the community. Right. You know. You know, if you're here working with me, you should be doing something else outside the community. Right. Because looking at him, he always did something outside the community. So at that time, I became involved with the Boys and Girls Club. You know, it sort of was a start and just sort of build from there. Yes. Yeah. And it's always important for us as black individuals to give back to our communities Definitely. as well, too, yeah. right? Because if you don't have anybody there to look up to or to see, you know, like... Yeah. And this has been, and like I said, walking into your pharmacy, yeah. right? Seeing somebody like that, knowing that you can achieve these other things is very important and impactful yeah. in that sense. Um, so 
one pattern we're noticing in these black communities is that there's a declining population yeah. across these communities. Yeah. And we've kind of talked about that as well, too. But what are your thoughts on the declining population in Yarmouk, per se? I look at myself as an example. I, I come back and forth. But what, what, can, what do you think the reasoning behind the declining population is uh, I just in think smaller it's, communities? It's more around job opportunities, you know. If you went away and became a pharmacist, yeah, there's a possibility that you could come back. If you weren't snapped up by one of the other bigger organizations who are looking for pharmacists, right. and looking for pharmacists like in Halifax or looking for pharmacists in Sydney, because right. they're all out there trying to get you to come work for them. Yes. And trying to sign you up with a bonus. Yeah. You know, but basically it's job opportunities, you know, and you come back to Yarmouth, they're, you're, you're limited. Yes. It, unless you're working in the medical field, which is wide open. Or education. Or educational yeah. field. Yeah. You know, like it's it's limited after that. Yeah. yeah. So the black communities now in Yarmouth, has it shifted? Are they same or, or are they still living, the majority of them, are they still living in the South End? No, it's shifted. They're living all over, all over the area now. Yeah. Yeah. I find in, in even though in Greenville, most of the families out there are basically the senior families. Right. And once they disappear, you know, there, there's going to be openings up there for younger people to move in if right. they would like to go to that route. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think that's the interesting thing is that, you know, you mentioned about the job opportunities. And I look at somebody like myself, it's like, I can't come back here no. because of the lack of employment opportunities for myself. Also, to my wife, probably wouldn't be yeah, be too thrilled coming back to Yarmouth, right? Yeah. But it's one of those things where, you know, um, we've seen this pattern where in a lot of these smaller communities, yeah. the accessibility, uh, not having access to these things as yeah. well too, right? So right. it's um, something that, you know, those parallels are, are drawn through a lot of these communities throughout the province, and I would say probably more broadly as well too. So we're becoming mainly... Uh a senior town, basically. Yeah. You know, there's so many seniors out there looking for a doctor. They have greater health issues. Yeah. You know, they don't want to spend time in an emergency room. So, and I find a lot of people who were born in Yarmouth, they moved away, but 30, 40 years later, they're coming back to Yarmouth. They want to relax, take it easy. Yeah. Know some people in the area. Yeah. You know, they're coming back this way. So. Uh, we talked a little bit about your father, and now that I've got you here, I want to talk about the missionaries. As oh, well, I, too, I love the right? missionaries, and I still uh, think about hearing their record. Uh, my dad playing their vinyl record, yeah. um, and what I didn't know is that my grandfather wasn't an original member. He came no. in later, right? Right. Um, so who were the original members and what was that transition like in terms of getting those new members? And when did you, your father was an original member, original correct? Member, yeah. yeah. They, the missionaries basically started off not as the missionaries. Right. They were singing in the Rose of Sharon Church. It was my dad, Seber Kelly, and the two um, uh, Francis brothers. Right. They came from Digby, but they lived in Yarmouth. Okay. Now, those were the original missionaries. Okay. Then they exchanged a couple of different people to try it out, but they didn't work out. Mr. Crawford was one. And they eventually, they found Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> so Charlie became like the third member. Then after Charlie, in, later on in the early 60s, they found Mr. Fells. Right. And they became the missionaries, but 
their name changed only when they moved and started singing out of the mission, the town mission. Uh, okay. and that's where the missionaries came along. Right. At that time. Yeah. So, and I always think about, you know, uh, their legacy and what they've what they've left behind. But what does it mean to you to know that your father was part of that famous oh, group? Very proud indeed. Yeah. Proud of all the guys. And every time I talk about the missionaries, I always talk about them going to Expo 67. Right. And singing on the paddle wheel or going up and down the St. Lawrence River. That's sort of what they're... Big achievement, big fame, opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. They were invited to go to Atlantic City after that and sing. Yeah. But of course, they were working. It was after the war. They, they had families. They couldn't go. Yeah. But they did appear on Don Messner's Jubilee, and and so, they had to sing a lot over in St. John and just about every church in Nova Scotia. Right. There yeah. was a traveling group. And that's the yeah. other thing, too, is I think like the accessibility for them, right, to have an opportunity to go to Montreal. There was, at that time, there probably wouldn't have been a lot of groups no. that could say that as no. well, right? Not at all. Um, and they were, I can't remember the Lifetime Achievement Award they received recently as well, too, from right? Edsma. Yeah, yes, from Yeah, from uh, So it's been, um, I, it's, it's funny how our families, you know, that legacy lives on generation after generation. I drop it every now and then, and I say, you know, my grandfather was, you know, he was in this group. People look at me like, what do you mean? And I'm like, yeah. no, he was part of this famous group, right? Yeah, really. In the 1967 Expo. So yeah. that's perfect. Bruce, thanks a lot. Hey, Bruce. Thank you for coming out. Sorry I couldn't be there with you and Sean. Uh, but we look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you for listening to the Loyalist Connections podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and gained some new insights. This episode was produced by your host, Maurice Gabriel Downey, and myself, Sean Smith, of Loyalist Connections Creative. We want to send out a special thanks uh, to our community partners, the Black Cultural Center and the Black Loyalist Heritage Center and Society for their continued support. And shout out our alma mater, St. Mary's University, especially the St. Mary's University Gorsbrook Research Institute Partnership for making resources available to us to complete this project. We encourage you to join us as we continue to host these meaningful conversations and uncover information on our communities and other important aspects of our history. In the meantime, don't forget to listen, like, follow, and share the Loyalist Connection podcast on all your favorite platforms. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Loyalist Connection Podcast for updates and behind-the-scenes content. Also, for exclusive content, including access to unedited episodes, join the Loyalist Connections community on Patreon. And until the next episode, stay, stay connected. connected.